the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Wow. Richest man in the world. Jeff Bezos, which is pretty interesting to note because he's been married for 25 years. And you would think that, like, maybe they'd say the richest man and wife or husband and wife. But they give him the credit, right? 25-year marriage, richest couple in history. They met at work. Four kids. She dropped him off at work in her Honda as little as five years ago. And then, obviously, things changed. They were engaged within three months of meeting each other. They own more land than almost anyone else in America. And they're getting a divorce. Love and marriage, love Jeff Bezos and is said to be worth $145 billion. Richest man in history. Marriage of 25 years, you'd say, whoa. Right? That's a pretty good marriage. That's a long time. They met at D.E. Shaw. They relocated to Seattle when they started Amazon. She was one of the first employees in the accountant. So how much is she going to get in the divorce? And boy, aren't the divorce attorneys loving this story. And again, no knock against divorce attorneys. But my opinion is, if you ever do get married, consider if you get a divorce, a mediator. You once loved this person. You don't have to go to war with them and make other people rich while you're squabbling over what will eventually be a dissolution. I know you're hurt. I know the emotion's high, but arbitration's the way to go. Jeff Bezos, the billionaire founder. Whew. He's worth $137 billion. Amazon stock has run towards, became the second company ever to hit with the $1 trillion valuation. It's dropped back. A lot of people still think it's an amazing company. So how does love go so bad, and where does this eat go? 
You know, Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates, they used their fortune that they created while they were married to create the Gates Foundation, of which she basically runs it. Uh, marriage and careers, there's no problems with prenups. There's no problems with postnups. If you can't talk about money, you shouldn't get married. If you can't have some rules about money, you shouldn't get married. It's a big financial mistake that people run into. They, get, they marry wrong. Now, of note and worthy, um, I did. Uh, but when it ended, we kind of got into our, our brains, like, let's not let this financially be a stress. And uh, my divorce was nothing. Emotionally, it was upsetting because I got married to the wrong person. I fixed that later in life, but whoa, that was an emotional toll. Money wasn't an issue for me. So Jeff Bezos told his wife about his business idea. And while she's not a business person, she could hear the passion that her husband was talking about Amazon. Um, They quit their jobs. They moved to Seattle. They started Amazon. So she was the accountant for the company. Until around 1999, the couple lived in a one-bedroom rental house in Seattle. Isn't that awesome when you see how people will not spend money? Now they have, they're the 25th largest landowner in the United States. So not only has he done well with Amazon, but he's also probably done pretty well with land, right? Because if you've been buying land for 25 years, you've done something right, probably. Unless you keep buying homes on oil fields or something like that. So how frugal are they? Until 2013, she drove the kids to school. They didn't have a driver. Drove her husband to work. Pretty close-knit family. Uh, it's well reported. They uh, adhere to a very normal routine. They're not like eating um, insects for breakfast or lizards at lunch. I guess it's okay to eat a lizard at lunch. But it's, I'm kind of trying to connote, you know, those alien movies where the people from the other planet seem all nice and friendly and they're curing cancer. And the next thing you know, they're eating lizards. Oh, boy, that's just too much for me, you cold-blooded alien. Um, but yeah, he was a family guy. Um, they did a lot of off-season travel, kitchen science experiments, chicken incubation, Mandarin lessons, math programs, lots and lots of clubs and sports with neighborhood kids. And now they're divorcing. Now, here's the big question. How do we turn this into a story? Well, divorce doesn't have to be ugly. Divorce doesn't have to be costly. But this is going to be a big one. Divorce attorneys say it's highly likely that Mackenzie Bezos would want the family fortune to continue to grow. Um, so there's a way to get out of this without saying 50-50 split. I think there's more than enough money to obviously go around. Bezos announced that he and his wife of 25 years. Now, he did announce it on Twitter. And that's always weird for me. Uh, let's tweet our life moments, right? Of course, they're saying all the right things. Amicable parting, remain a family, and remain cherished friends. $137 billion. Do you think she's getting advice right now? So she could get as much as $66 billion based on the value of the company today. Now, to fund a settlement that big, Bezos would have to sell or pledge shares, which could dilute his ownership and control of the company. Bezos, who owns just under 80 million shares of Amazon, or just 16% of the company... So the more control he loses, obviously, the more investors would say, well, who's running the company? Now, here's where it gets smart. Divorce attorneys are, are, are kind of t- 
talking about this out loud, and they're saying she would be wise to want the family fortune to grow. And she's tied large part to Jeff Bezos' control of the company. So if she, she would be unlikely to push for a settlement that would require him to sell shares, that would dilute his control. Um, and any reduction of his 15% stake in the company. So how do you value assets with diminished control? There's an argument by attorneys that the Amazon stake is not worth as much as without Bezos' control. So she, obviously, you can see where it gets kind of sticky. So far, the most expensive divorce. Oh, <laughs> this was a good one. Steve and Elaine win. It was estimated to be at about a billion plus dollars. And that was back in 2010. And if you, if you look back, if you look back at Steve Wynn, Elaine Wynn kind of craziness, it's almost as bad as the Dodgers owners um, and the crazy sexcapades and uh, business dealings that were going on. But uh, Steve and Elaine Wynn, $1 billion, and uh, he got into some pretty, pretty awkward stuff. That's all I'm going to say. So, the market, the rally train, woo, woo, it rolled into town on Tuesday. It started that way at the open today, and then we got a little bit fearful, and the train came off the tracks. Um, there's not a lot of news right now driving the markets up, other than you could say that there was a Christmas Eve low, and we're trying to bounce back. Um, Apple and Skyworks both lowered their first quarter guidance. Uh, that's in the news. Constellations Brands is down 11%. They lowered their guidance. Now, they're not saying, hey, we're not selling a booze in China, but there's that kind of China backdrop that we keep focusing on. Talks have ended with China for the short term. We'll hear results in the next day or two. Maybe some upside there. Big seminar coming up on the 24th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. 6.30 date 30. You can sign up for the event at Rob Black Show. Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. And um, sign up at Rob Black Show for the big event coming up at the Elks Lodge at the 24th. It's all about income and retirement, wealth and retirement, and retirement and what it looks like, plus the year 2019, expectations and more. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Now. Chatting with Coach Sendak, your Santa Clara Broncos basketball report. It's now time for a check-in with our partners at Santa Clara Basketball. For this week's chat with Coach Sindek, here's the voice of the Broncos, Anthony Passarelli with Coach. All right, I'm here with Santa Clara men's basketball coach Herb Sendek on our weekly chatting with Coach Sendek segment. Brought to you by Heffernan Insurance Brokers. Heffernan Insurance, because you're different. Heffernan, proud partner of Santa Clara Athletics. And Coach, uh, heading into this weekend with uh, Pepperdine and at BYU, the Broncos are 1-1. One one. Their opening conference weekend was a, uh, I guess you kind of say, a, a gutty win over San Diego to open things up at home, and then a, uh, a loss at Gonzaga against the number seven team in the country. Uh, let's talk first about San Diego. Tajidi, fantastic game, 21 points in the first half. Would you consider that game, uh, holding on to win that one at home in front of a good crowd, a gutty win? I would consider it a hell of a win. You know, anytime you can get a conference win, 
um, it's a tremendous feeling. And uh, San Diego is an experienced, uh, outstanding team. And I thought our guys really um, did a tremendous job with their preparation and on the defensive end of the floor for the most part. And as you said, Taj really got it going in the first half. And then you turn around and have to play in probably the toughest place to play in the, well, the toughest place to play in the conference and maybe one of the toughest places to play in the country against the number seven team in Gonzaga. Uh, a lot of first-year players. We've talked about it in the past for Santa Clara. What kind of an experience is that, regardless of the outcome, to play in front of that type of an atmosphere against those types of players? Well, I mean, every time we take the court is an important experience. Every practice, every every uh, game, not to mention our off-the-court work in the film room, um, you know, we, we become the sum total of all those experiences. And, you know, Saturday certainly was, you know, another one on the ladder. Finally, we've talked about a number of different players and Todd Gidi and Trey Wirtz, uh, first-year guards. One of the new first-year players from Naples, Italy is Willie Caruso, uh, who told me in an interview that we did earlier this year, it's a different ball game playing here in the United States versus Europe. How's it been coaching Willie and getting him to uh, kind of understand and play the way college basketball at the Division One level is here? Well, it's a real pleasure coaching Willie, first and foremost, because he's just such a wonderful young man. He's always happy, never has a bad day. But by the same token, he's never committed a foul, if you ask him. Uh, But he has a tremendous sense of humor, quick to smile, easy to laugh. And uh, so I enjoy his company immensely. And he's really improved. He's getting better. The biggest thing for Willie is he's going to have to get stronger in the offseason. And he continues to adjust to the speed and the physicality, the emphasis on defense here in the United States and some of the things that he's mentioned to me that are most different. Well, the Broncos take on Pepperdine at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Broncos will have a home game before going on the road for three. As always, pleasure to talk with you, Coach. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Anthony. Bronco head coach Herb Sedek. Listen to our chat with Coach every Wednesday at 820. Brought to you by Hefford and Insurance, specializing in business and personal insurance, financial services, and employee benefits. Find them at hefins.com. pretty fast and it's really good if you develop a plan maybe on the fly but develop a plan you know it's better than nothing part of your plan is organization sometimes i'm not the most organized person my puppy's getting old she's gonna be put down today so i've had to go through get this 15 years of photos because i'm not that organized and what i realized in the last couple days is Stunningly beautiful dog, strong dog, great friend, but 15 years of no organization. You know, there's been some times where I was like, that's a great picture. Let's, let's get it photo. Let's get it framed. Um, but that's not good. Fortunately, I handle my finances way better. There's this thing called binders. Do you remember binders? I still like having a physical binder on basically things like, that washer dryer. When did I buy it? Kind of thing. How much did I pay? Where's the manual? Washer dryers aren't that tough to fix if you have the manual. They're going to break when they're going to break for sure, but you get the idea. So a binder is great for bills. I still automate my bills, but I still kind of, in case I kick the bucket, I want someone to be able to walk in and say, oh, let's take a look at his budget. He has. 47 bills every month and two paychecks. Let's figure that out. 
So Binder is very, very helpful, especially if you're doing if you're signing up to have it done through email. You kick the bucket and see, people don't get into your email for a while. You can see where it's, it's it helps. I had to go through my dad's stuff. My dad had a desk like my photos of Maisie the Wonder Dog. Um, but it was it was a pleasure putting together photos and just remembering just crazy things in the life of a puppy. In your binder, you should have things like potentially a birth certificate, maybe social security numbers or your social security card. You should try to keep it in a safe. Early on in life, you definitely want to put your sources of income together, your financial assets, your liabilities, your insurance policies, your will, your trust, any legal documents. It was kind of funny because when I was going through my dad's stack of paperwork, if it had been in a binder, I could have helped my mom mourn. But because it was in just stacks, I was like, there's going to be a legal piece of paper saying that I was adopted. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the happiest man in the world. I'm going to learn that my my mom is Shirley Temple Black. <laughs> I'm going to learn that my dad is Charles Black, the guy who started PG&E. Like, I'm going to suddenly become a billionaire when my dad dies. Because I'm going to learn, I'm going to see the adoption papers. Now, most kids are f- afraid of adoption. I'm, I looked at it as an opportunity. I just wanted to make sure that it was Daddy Warbucks who adopted me. You know what I'm saying? Scrooge was an investor god. Now, I say that on occasion as a bit of a joke, but also as a bit of a learning mechanism tool to slightly remind you that giving gifts is not about the monetary value. Giving gifts is not about, like, if you have that flexibility, that's great. But most people would like a a card or good cold beer. You don't have to go to town and go crazy. My still, my investing baseline is still a million dollars. I was talking to a news anchor at Crown yesterday, and she goes, how much life insurance do I need to get? I said, let's start at 10 times your income. Because it's easy that way. It's a, it's a good rule of thumb that's not going to get you into too much trouble. It starts you off in the process, and then before you sign on the dotted line, you go, okay, let's explore this. What does a million dollars actually get me? Is that taxed? Is it not taxed? How much income can I get? So I told her, buy term and invest the rest. Don't buy variable life. Don't buy whole life. Bad products. Bad products. Annuities, bad products for most of you out there. So I start with a million dollars, and then I go, I ask the anchor, I go, so do you have any children? She goes, she does. I'm like, oh. I'm like, do you care about them? And she does. Some people don't. But she did. So credit is something to be paid attention to. So I would say for every kid you have, 250000 for the record. So if you have a, a spouse that needs your income and you're making a hundred, start with a million dollars. For a kid, 250000 college will be more expensive or less expensive than, but you're in, you're in the ballpark. My credit score ebbs and flows sometimes because I try to manage my cash flow to, to, to leniency. I want to use it. I, I want to f- maximize it. So sometimes... Uh, like I just got a second mortgage and my cash flow is struggling right now. So my credit score is struggling a little bit, but it's working in the right direction. So a good credit score is, is pretty powerful. I'm glad I've got a mortgage at 3.75%, 4.25%. Like I can name my numbers and I can still say I'm pretty comfortable with it because I had a good credit score to great credit score going in.
comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I saw that PG, PG&E Pacific Gas and Electric got downgraded its debt junk. That's not a good thing when a utility, something that's considered a safe investment in history, is on the brink of bankruptcy. Scary times, for sure. Speaking of scary times, let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. He could guide us through these markets. He's done it for, gosh, it feels like six, seven years now in a row on this show. How are you doing, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. It's good to be back. Um, I did sneak a peek while on vacation at some of your uh, columns. You were working. You were, you're doing your part, uh, staying with the markets. Uh, where are we at the start of the year, if you were to you know, give us a quick summary? Um, yeah, I think we're, we're probably right about the point that I, I think was reasonable to expect we would be. Uh, you know, December was such an ugly month, and, of course, you had that really uh, uh, eye-opening sell-off on Christmas Eve. And, you know, the market had moved into a very deeply oversold position, and the bearish narrative had just been um, proliferating far and wide. And so I think conditions were ripe at that point for a, um, you know, for a contrarian rally, if you will. And, uh, and I think we would have gotten one anyway, but obviously with the uh, boost received from the December employment report and certainly from Fed Chair Powell's um, seemingly conciliatory remarks with respect to the Fed being patient uh, as it watches market signals more closely, uh, that just catalyzed things. And, and true to this market's nature, you know, it moved in a hurry and uh, came rallying back sharply, uh, you know, in the last three sessions, really. But, you know, since going back to um, the low on Christmas Eve, I think, you know, the S&P 500 is up close to, uh, I think, 9%. And so, uh, ironically, we probably have moved from an oversold condition to a short-term overbought condition, which uh, over the very near term could could lead to a little bit of um, what technicians, I think, would call backing and filling here or a period of consolidation as, uh, as we kind of cool things off here after this really hot start. I read your um, page one every day, start of the day. It's one of the things I do. Also, I'll turn on CNBC, Bloomberg, New York Times. It seems like there's kind of a, a feeling, though, that a lot of people are backing off the, the recessionary talk of December and going, it doesn't look that bad. Where do you think or how do you think this year plays out? Are we heading towards a recession too early to tell? Should we worried about it? Should we uh, say, hey, the jobs numbers looks pretty good. We'll spend money. We're probably not heading towards a recession. How do you feel about, like, it seems like there's a conciliatory tone, almost like, come back to the stock market, please. It's not going to be a recession. Yeah, you know, I think the, um, you know, one thing to remember, obviously, with the labor market, it is a lagging indicator, but, uh, you know, and when we get the, um, you know, with the January, um, or I'm sorry, the, the, you know, the uh, the January employment report, I mean, you're going to see the effects of the government shutdown show up there, so you could actually have quite a negative headline number when that comes out, but but having said that, I think what uh, what did shine through in the December employment report was, you know, the nice uptick in, in wage growth, right? And so it was was a nice, uh, probably a good timely reminder that, you know, the economy is, is, is slowing down, right? You can see that in the auto sales figures. You can see it in the home sales figures. Uh, 
Um, you can see it in the fact that you know weekly initial claims, um, you know, look to have, have bottomed. They're start you know trending a little bit higher. I mean, they're not at a worrisome level by any means, but um, but nonetheless, I mean, you are seeing some signs out there that suggest that the economy is slowing down. Um, but I think to the question at hand is, you know, it is an overreach to suggest that, you know, we're on a beeline to a recession. I uh, don't think you've got those indicators out there, uh, certainly not in the economic data, that are, are, are pointing that way. Now, everyone will call attention, obviously, to the flattening yield curve, uh, which always raises concerns about, you know, uh, it, it being a recession indicator when the 10-2 spread inverts or when the three-month 10-year spread inverts. Uh, and we're seeing a narrowing spread there. And uh, But the thing to remember, too, though, about uh, inverted yield curves is, you know, uh, when recessions occur in their wake, uh, you know, the average recession hasn't happened until uh, for a period of about 16 months um, in, uh, after the first inversion. Um, and that's true going back to every recession uh, since 1980. So it's not like an immediate trigger if you get an inversion that you instantly see a contraction in economic activity. But it would be construed as a little bit of a worrisome signal that we're on a path toward a potential recession. But all in all, I think you still can, you know, make a case here that the U.S. economy should continue to hold up, you know, in 2019 and should certainly hold up, you know, if we can get some type of trade agreement uh, with China worked out. And uh, and and you can see confidence um, short up with the idea that, uh, you know, the Fed's not going to be overly aggressive with its interest rates policy. Am I kind of crazy, but there sounds like there's some good news coming. Government shutdown's going to end, we hope, we assume. Mm-hmm. China and the U.S. are going to figure out some sort of trade agreement, we hope, we assume. Oil prices will probably firm up instead of continue to fall, we hope, we assume. There's a lot of hoping right now, but it, it does seem like some positives could happen to our you know, backdrop for the uh, higher stock market. It's true, Rob, and and I think that that goes back to sort of you know what I was alluding to earlier is just how prevalent the bearish narrative got you know in the fourth quarter, right? We, uh, you know, we kind of the the stock market sell off uh, really became a um, uh, you know a signpost for all of the concerns to be oversold about a slowdown, right? Because you know the stock market's a forward looking entity, and when you see stock prices drop as rapidly as they did. You know, it, it understandably evokes some concerns that uh, some really bad news is about to hit that corroborates the drop in those stock prices. And um, But this market also overreaches at times, uh, moves very quickly, and overreacts in a number of situations. And so um, so knowing that you have, you know, a lot of these, uh, these items that were held out as distinct negatives toward the end of 2018, um, and the fact that you got oversold in the stock market, there's now a, a sight line or a, a basis to think that, you know, things could be better than expected if they simply don't get any worse, right? And I think that part of the rally effort this week is is predicated in part on the idea that the trade talks that are taking place in Beijing this week, we haven't really heard anything specific coming out of them. But importantly, we haven't heard anything negative either. And the absence of a negative is construed as a positive that has helped bolster investor sentiment this week. And so if you actually do get a uh, you know an agreement on structural trade issues uh, by the March 1 deadline, um, you should see quite a relief rally uh, unfold in, in the stock market, and 
uh, and that would be a good thing uh, because it would be a, a stepping stone, I think, to uh, imp- help lift uh, certainly business confidence and, and planning efforts as it relates to capital investment and expansion efforts. As always, I find that there's a world of information at briefing.com. I've been using it for 20-plus years now, which is crazy. Um, what are you working on right now that it, that might be in a future article, a future update that we could get some insight from that is in the mind of Patrick O'Hare? Sure. Well, you know, we have um, the earnings season's coming up here uh, in right. just a couple of weeks. It's going to really ramp up. And so uh, the topic of this week's big picture column will, will really just be, a, you know, a fourth quarter earnings preview. Um, and it's going to be a really important period because, you know, obviously with the warning we heard out of Apple, um, you know, I think investors need to be prepared to to hear some uh, other uh, disappointing news. You know, uh, the earnings themselves probably better be better than expected, as is typically the case. But I think the, the guidance is, is going to be more cautious-minded, uh, given the uncertainties that, uh, that have struck this market and which are out there with respect to trade, uh, interest rate policy, um, uh, and just a natural slowdown from um, uh, from last year, as comparisons get a little bit tougher, so probably going to hear a little bit more cautious minded guidance. And what's going to be important is how the market reacts to that, because that will tell you whether that's already been accounted for in the sell-off in December, or if it's something that kind of you know reawakens a bit of that bearish spirit that took root in the fourth quarter. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to another year with briefing and with your insights in the market. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Rob. A lot going. Oh, absolutely. A um, lot going on right now. I start every day with page one at briefing.com. I think um, Patrick O'Hare does a really good job of making it what we're looking at. I mean, just looking at his page one today, he talks about the halo effect of Fed Chairman Powell's acknowledgement that the Fed will be patient, a fear of missing out on further gains, attention to discounted valuations. I've already talked about some of the income stocks that I'm looking at that are value-oriented. We've talked about uh, Bill Miller from uh, the King of Value Investing saying Amazon looks like a value to him. Um, just a lot going on. But I think Briefing does a pretty good job of, of giving you information that's digestible. Samsung Electronics issued a fourth quarter profit warning that had similar linkages to the sales warning that Apple had. Samsung's well on the way to a 5G phone. Apple doesn't look like they're anywhere near a 5G phone. That's my biggest concern for Apple in 2020. That's where I'm looking at. We also have the UK's Brexit plan. It remains a mystery. It's like Sherlock Holmes could come in and figure this one out. Uh -uh. Boy, that movie was a flop over Christmas. Will Ferrell. Is he finished? Is he finished? Um, but a lot of optimism right now. Be careful. Just look at your portfolio. Look at it very robotically. Look at what you need for the 2019 to say you had a good year. Start implementing plans. Look at the big picture. Are you on the road to retirement or not? You need somewhere between 10 to 20 times your income before you can retire. That's humbling. Big seminar to teach you on income investing, retirement planning, wealth preservation. Coming up on the 24th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up for it at Rob Black Show. Rob Black Show. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Where do we begin? The rubble or When the thunder rains And the world at your command Playing the hand Yeah You don't know my mind 
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So every 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I like to reread some of my research that I put together 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And there was a point in time where we talked a lot about BRICS. Do you remember that? Brazil, Russia, India, and China. That was a big story in 2000, 2001. Huge. We started talking about these expanding middle classes. Brazil, Russia, India, and China back in 2001. So when I reread my notes on that, um, it, it kind of made me scratch my head. Now we, They've been talking about the brick, and now they're talking about fang. And no one's really talking about brick anymore, and everyone's talking about fang, right? So there's a lot of gloom on a lot of cyclical challenges. And we're looking at develop economies and growing economies. And, you know, the best investments are in growing economies. China should be, in my opinion, way higher than it is now because of how much growth they have. But they kind of cheat a little bit. They're not pure capitalism. They're not letting companies fail sometimes. And they're saying, you know, we're going to step in and do it. So when Brazil, Russia, India, and China didn't exactly work out. And, you know, India, we were like, well, India's got more colleges and a better education system and better politics. And Brazil's got, you know, uh, commodities. So you, you flash forward 10, 15 years and you're like, whoa, now we've got fangs. Back then we had bricks and no one's talking about them anymore. So you got to be kind of careful. Um, in the research that I wrote, automakers are fleeing from Detroit to Moscow to, and St. Petersburg. I'm like, I don't know, that's necessarily true anymore. And now we're building more cars in the United States in different ways. And this was back in 2008 when I wrote that note to myself. So be careful on getting caught up because I remember doing this radio show, pounding bricks, and not so much these days. I love a good story stock. And one stories, I'm always paying attention. I don't have to have like sex appeal on a stock. Um, I'm doing more camp and America's doing more. Oh, but wait, wait, before I finish that. So, okay, well, the more camping, the more camping gear as I get older, I'm, I'm spending more money on. So like a Yeti cooler is awesome so that you're not pouring water out of your cooler after one day because all the ice melts. And that appeals to Americans. So as I continue to put together research for you, remember how I said back in 2000 to 2008, we're talking about the growing middle class in Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And middle class tends to be consumers. They tend to smoke cigarettes and eat more protein. And there's great investments that you can find off of you know, middle class. They, they, they want to go on vacation. So there's easy pickings. Now, what's interesting is Brazil, Russia, India, and China grew their middle class. I think the United States middle class has shrunk on a lot of levels, the, the haves and the have-nots. So do yourself a favor. Write some things down. I think when you write it down, it makes it true. It kind of puts you into a category of this is my opinion. And if you can judge yourself later, I think that's a good thing. So... If you can scorecard yourself, scorecards are awful. They're awful, awful, awful. But I love scorecards, right? So I think that's kind of important. Avoid being God syndrome. <clears throat> I think God syndrome, you'll see some people out there, a lot of radio shows, a lot of guests on TV, who act like they're always right. People will call into my show, knowing that gold is going to $600 an ounce. People will call in knowing that gold is going to 3000 People will start thinking that fuel cells are going to be the next red-hot thing, and fuel cells really never caught on. 
Tesla self-driving cars would be the next hot thing. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to have fully, you know, self-driving cars with the roads that we have in the United States. It just, uh, the two kind of, kind of bash heads. Financial news is something that you need to understand is useless. Financial news helps people who trade gold and stock traders. So if you're an investor, CNBC should do you no good. If you're a trader that invests in gold, you want to see where the, are we in the good times or are we in the bad times? So just be cautious. I remember back in 2001, right before 9-11. So 9-11 happened in September and in August, all the news stations were talking about the summer of the shark. And you believed there was enough Americans who had been bitten by sharks that summer that if you, you believe that if you even stepped on the beach, you might get bit. That's how many shark bites there were. But after 9-11 and in 2002, you know how many stories were on, on beaches and sharks? None. None. Headline news is awful. Um, it's an awful indicator of the future is what I'm trying to get at. Stories, you know, I, I thought about this the other day. I like following hockey or basketball on, on news. Like, hey, what's going to happen with this team? What's going to happen to that team, right? And I'm, I'm thinking if you're a beat writer for a hockey team, how difficult it must be to write 150 stories. And do you just go back and copy the last year's 150 with different players and different, you know, uh, stories? Or do you do it? Do you figure out how it matters? Or do you figure out how it plays? I think market timing is a bit of a scam, and you've heard people go, join my group, and I'll t tell you when to buy and sell. I'd be very cautious on that. Show me one person who's a market timer worth $10 million. Show me someone who turned 10000 into $10 million. Now, the people who sell you the newsletter that tells you they can do that, they've done well. The people who sell you the software who, who promises to give you access to the investment God's ears, they, they make money on the software, but not on the trades. So if you doubled your money every two to four months, or you take a class that starts at $99 or $400, if you really believe that, those lead to $4,000 classes. They're not one-on-offs. $10,000 doubled every four months is $5.3 trillion in 10 years. It ain't that easy. Don't look for shortcuts. Write down things you believe in. Become a better investor. Learn from your mistakes. Be patient. I'm Rob Black. Take care. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.